Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours. Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Welcome. We're uh, the Brooklyn Combine. We are at a special place uh you want to tell us where we at bar um we at uncle e's crab um this is one of the i know for at least for me this is one of the largest african collections um african art collections that i've ever seen um but i'm rumored it's rumored that it's a little bit bigger than what i've seen it's it's, it's a lot more than, oh yeah we haven't even seen the downstairs it's, it's, we're not in a white person's house or a museum we're not at the smithsonian where they stole or what's i forget the museum in london where they oh yeah they, got they stole british museum yeah, yeah the british museum and one of our brothers uh just came back from where were you son senegal and st louis you said San Luis. San Luis. Did, and did Sen you go there, Eric? No, I haven't been to San Luis. Okay. It's, um, apparently it used to be the capital of Senegal, and they uh, okay. eventually changed it to that Dakar. A yeah, yeah. So, it was an amazing trip. Very eye-opening, very, uh... What people like there? What got you into amazing. art collecting? That's a great question. What got me in the African art collection? Collecting mm -hmm. was my father. Mm. And my father, I've told the story many times, but uh, my father was an immigrant from Barbados. Mm -hmm. So he made his, his ethnic and family journey from Africa, dropped them off in Barbados as far as the transatlantic slave trade mm -hmm. so many people think of West Indians for those people who come from the Caribbean as something different outside of the the annals of slavery yeah. that so many people of color have experienced in why is that a phenomenon I, I had a recent issue with that in a class that I teach <laughs> with some students who were from the Caribbean mm -hmm. And they, they, as I reflect on it, some of them, not all of them, some of them, they didn't really understand the relationship between slavery and colonialism, as, as, as crazy as that sounds. Well, it's all, it's all about education. Yeah. And one of the reasons we have the museum, which is establishing why we're working so hard and diligently to establish its own brick-and-mortar building mm -hmm. that can be open to the public, uh, so we can educate people as to the facts of African history, African-American history, Caribbean history, which is all directly connected back to Africa. Africa. So as I said, my father's um, ancestors made this stop 
this part of the transatlantic slave trade mm -hmm. in Barbados. And then from there, over time, came to the United States. Mm -hmm. um, so many people in their ignorance tend to think, well, if you came from the Caribbean, you're not of slave lineage. Now, nobody likes to be of slave lineage. White but if people you really, from slave lineage. Yeah, right. They just don't talk about yeah. it. But what I was going to say, if you study history now, my, my thing is studying African history, which is because it's more directly, directly related to my history. Mm -hmm. So I have to study African history. And because of my experiences in life, I know that there have been so many untold truths in lives that have been disputed within people of the African diaspora in the United States that the confusion is enormous as far as to what the facts are mm -hmm. in relationship to that. Do you see some sort of correlation now with the state of Africa and how there's still, after hundreds of years in interest, there's still all this interest from China from oh, no, Africa no, no. to America and Africa to Russia. I'll, I'll address that in a minute, but I just mm -hmm. want to I want to just go back to, like I said, this misconception, understandably so, for people of African descent, uh, African Americans who have, uh, uh, directly relate to their lineage through slavery mm -hmm. uh, in the last 400 years of, con uh, of incarceration in the United States and those that come from the Caribbean, which we call West Indians or whatever, uh, as if they are not related to that same history of bondage, when in fact that's not the case at all. All relate to the same history of bondage over different periods of time, because the point from which they truly emanated was Africa. So, uh, so they are un uh, unquestionably brothers and sisters of the highest order, and it's through education that they will realize that. And that's one of the purposes of the museum to sort of to try to tell. The true stories, mm. whether no matter how painful they may be, but out of pain and understanding comes healing. Yeah, healing and critical you know, thought. And, yeah. and critical thought and, and innovation. So, you know. So, um, um, so that has to that has to be understood. And this goes back to your initial question of my father, who came from Barbados, and he arrived on the shores of the United States when he was 17 years old. And he met my mother, who lived in Brooklyn, New York. And she, uh, uh, interestingly enough, uh, was of uh, Bayesian descent as well through her parents, even though she was born in Brooklyn, New York. So it's ironic because my mother was this amazing cook, and she could cook all of these different dishes both Caribbean and what we refer to as soul food, you know. So I wasn't, it wasn't until I was about uh, 14 or 15 years old, believe it, you might find this hard to believe, but it's true. That's why it's so 
great about talking about history and study and education. I was unaware that my mother was of Asian or, or, or Caribbean descent, her family, because none of them had an accent. Her, her brothers and her sisters, and they all cooked more soul food than anything else, which was amazing. And so I, until I found out later, because my, my mother's side of the family, they never talked much about their history, whereas on my father's side of the family, they did, because they were, they were Bayesians, and my grandfather and my grandmother, they had that accent, so you know, actually, you want to know where did that accent come from, and you learned all kinds of things about their past. But I, I, you know, as a teenager, I, I thought my mother was from the South. <laughs> which was fun and uh, and then I realized lo and behold she was but it was always like a shock to me you know and um, I, I'm just curious how does this food still help to shape your cultural identification of a person I mean I, I'm just curious because that's an interesting you know. well it's a young person yeah no well it helps but no, it's, 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 it's life experiences and history that, for me, shapes uh, my perceptions of people as far as their past is concerned. And how do you learn that? You only learn that by speaking to them. Indeed. You know, so, so I've always been fascinated by conversation with people, particularly of African descent, because it was due to my father that when he came here at 17, he married, he later married, met my mother and married my mother. And he had children. It was three of us. I was the youngest out of two boys and a, and a, and a girl, my brother and my sister. Um, but I was interested in Africa, as I said, due to my father. Because what happened is when it became time... When my father and mother had to think about putting us into the New York City school system, my father quickly realized that, you know, in those days, uh, we're talking about the early 50s, uh, New York was a very racist place. I mean, not that to say that it is now, <laughs> but it was very obvious that it was a very racist yeah, people place. Don't, people don't you realize know? there was busing going on oh, in New York. Oh, man. I mean, issues. because, you know, we grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant, mm -hmm. and we were from a middle-class, quote-unquote, African-American family. And, but where we grew up, it was referred to as the ghetto, and we just loved it. We didn't know what they were talking about when they said the ghetto, because we had great friends and peers, and we had open communities and neighborhoods. We had what street are you talking about? Oh, oh in Bedford Stuyvesant on Marcy Avenue and Gates Avenue. Wow! Oh wow! Right, that's where we grew. And the building's still there, and it's an apartment building. And it was right around the corner from the Police Athletic League, which is still there, mm -hmm. which is Wynn Center. And I could tell you all kinds of stories about that. But um, we thought it was a wonderful uh, neighborhood. Uh, you know, it was open. It was a very protective community. People went to sleep at night and left basically with their doors unlocked. Right. There was no 
virtually no crime. And uh, in the so-called ghettos, there were a lot of liquor stores, <laughs> like one on every other corner. Right now. Yeah, and um, but there were no guns, there were no drugs, but you had. Well, the her This is the fifties. Yeah. Because you know what was happening in the fifties, and we talk about American history. You know, we was talking as a, a brother group. We talk every day, all day, <laughs> and the the fifties. What you really were seeing around that time is America sponsoring the surgeons of white people in middle class America. They were giving out basically freebies and loans and the GI Bill and all these other things so that these white people can create these communities. Mm -hmm. They were terrorizing us in this wherever we were at in the city in the north. Uh, as Malcolm said, if you north, if you south of Canada, you in the south. And <laughs> we started, you know, migrating, uh, you know, from from the southern areas into these cities and populating these cities. And you know that coincided with white flight and and white Americans being put in a position by the government to you know, build these communities that they would ultimately exclude us from. And, and um, but at the same time, they still was controlling the mechanism of our schools. So they controlled everything. Yeah. So your father was really doing something that all fathers should really be thinking and all uncles and aunts and mothers, which is control the educational ecosystem. Right. And which we don't we don't have a desire to. Here in this day and age, it seems as almost as if we just want to fit in and get their degrees. That's the biggest training. mistake we. That's can the make. hard. That's that was the the most problematic thing in this experience of us for us in America that has ever happened. That right. we still are reeling from, you know. And so, you know, this art for me, this art collection. I've been seeing this all my life, um, but the the art collection. You hit on a bunch of things, which is. The only true liberation for for black people in this stage of history is education. That's right. And, That's right. And, and and what's that famous saying? Know thyself. <laughs> know thyself. But but even yet, you know, you how do you feel now that you know? Because you could have sold out and sold this and got paid and kept it moving. Yeah, how do you feel? You know, the other day the, there was a acknowledgement uh, of, of what you've done at uh, Weeksville, and um, what what country was uh, Equatorial Guinea? Guinea. They they were really um, impressed at what you've done, and there was a lot of people, you know, there as well. How does it make you feel in 2018? And one side still sh still trying to still struggling struggling to show people what. Our journey should be. And, well, you know, like, yeah. like, how does that make you feel being in the midst well, of all that? Well, uh, at Weeksville, I'll just go back, take my thoughts back to Weeksville. Uh, I was very gratified at Weeksville because of the turnout of people from the community who came mm -hmm. to show their interest and respect and mm -hmm. wonder and curiosity. You know, to learn, like, what the heck is going on over here? <laughs> you know, and that's all I could ask for. 
And I was very thankful because from the response of the audience, it told me for all of these years and effort that I made and the blood and sweat and money that I had devoted to this, that it, it certainly is not for naught. Mm. People, people recognized it. And they didn't have big money to put on the table to say, here's the money, go on and get, get that building and let's make this museum a pillar of our community. Because they didn't have that wherewithal. Mm -hmm. But the wherewithal they had, they brought there. Mm -hmm. And I was appreciative of that. Very then and now. But 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 what it what it did for me is put more wind in my sails to tell me, Eric, this is not a waste. There are people with you. You're not by yourself. You know? And that's all I needed to hear. Cause I have to use the gifts that, that God gave me, this intelligence that he gave me, uh, this, uh, this tenacity of spirit, uh, and the ability to, 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 to coalesce good people around me who have the same desires and will to, to, to try, and I use the word try, to make this happen. Because mm -hmm. that's all I can do, mm -hmm. and um, and and uh, but I'm very hopeful, and, um, and and to me it's very very important, as I told you, young gentlemen, when you when you came here today, is to get young people involved, mm -hmm. because that's incredibly important, and all young people have to come with is with their heart and their soul. And the tenacity. That's the challenge yeah, in the day and age where their heart and soul is being attacked. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. It's being attacked on a. Even for, for three of you, for you. Now, our crew, we all right, but we like, you know. I mean, we, we in the foxhole and we got, we got some guns. I like the way you say that. And we shoot. Right. And, but and we trying don't, not to run out of ammunition. Yes, but we not, we not expecting, Auntie, any replacements. That's right. That's how we live. Well, that's how but I feel. we're trying to bridge Other young, young people. That, exactly. That's men. what it's all about. Yeah. Black men. Yeah. To bring them their kids. Yeah. Yeah, like, but you know, but look, but we're we're in a we're in a um, we're in a wild circle, so we're gonna take a break real quick, and come back, and finish talking to the collective.
sincere desire to learn and to be educated about their own history and past. And they worked diligently with me um, at the exhibition to facilitate whatever I needed in order to accomplish the task of educating the public through my collection. They, they showed incredible eagerness and thanks for what they thought I brought to the table. And it made it quite uh, obvious to me that they wanted to learn and they wanted to be educated and they wanted to help. And they said that over and over again. So for me, that that's what made my experience at Weeksville incredible, really. It was them. And that's what I want to see. How, you know. how, how long uh, was that that run with the work at Weeksville? The Weeksville was, uh, was close to three months. Three months. Three months, and it was joyous. We had a, a ton of people that went through that exhibit. Mm -hmm. People still call and ask, and could they come see the exhibit? And we have to unfortunately tell them it's down. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, Weeksville in the future wants me to come back. Yeah, they would, I, I would think they would benefit off of yeah. your presence. Yeah, well, part of what I wanted to do, because mm -hmm. my love for Weeksville is, and what Weeksville by itself represents right. is right. the old. People don't even know that yeah. Oda, you know, Oda Benga, hmm. the, the, the African who was stolen from Africa and, oh, and so put into the put into the cage, the monkey house at the Bronx Zoo. Yeah. When they got him out of the monkey house at the Bronx Zoo, 
he was at week. They, he stayed at Weeksville with these black. One no, of see, the black I didn't know that. Guys. See, that's yeah. why I mean, like, there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't know. You that. just messed me up because you you said something about 20 minutes ago. You said that we're how we're incarcerated in America. Oh yeah. And and it's so wild to me because as a as a black man in the in the area of criminal law. I hear people want to, everyone's an expert on black on black crime. <laughs> and you know, it's the thing that everybody want to talk about black on black crime, not white cause black crime. Right. And when you really think about, we are, yes, we are incarcerated. No, we are. Like this morning, I, I was late to mentoring and I missed mentoring because I had to go to Westchester. <laughs> and there's never a dull moment in America as a black person. Sure. And this world is a, is a black person. Mm-hmm. But this morning, I get up to Westchester, and um, every jail has its own culture and it's different. Some jails you go to, you it takes a long time to see your client. You, you know, you go through your different mm-hmm. things. And I get there, and I get through uh, the security, and I'm waiting with some um, some people there to see their relatives. And it was two young women. Mm-hmm. Nice kids. They were kids, essentially. And it was crowded, so we were all told we had to wait a little bit. And one of the young ladies stood up and was like, oh, they need to hurry up. I just want to see my nigga. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm thinking, like, wow. Like, look at this. So I go see my client, 26 years old, Horrible story. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was 11, his father buys a house for the family. By 12, the house is foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. They put into an apartment. Apartment catches on fire. They're in a New York City shelter. Father can't pay anymore. He's stressed. Leaves the family. Very familiar story. Mm-hmm. Girlfriend. is with mother and siblings in the shelter. Mother has a stroke. Dies yeah, at, at, uh, at you know by 13 for somewhere around wow. that time. Move in with father and new girlfriend. Father suffers a, a head injury, traumatic brain injury. Doesn't even remember his kids anymore. Wow. Father's girlfriend, alcoholic and violent. By 1920, father and girlfriend leaves him and his brother to fend for themselves. Their sister had already ran away, had two kids at 15. And he finds himself at 25 arrested on for selling drugs on a federal case. Mm. So I, I, I sat with him, read my sentencing memo to him. He, he was really just taken aback because he said that all that pain and trauma that he went to, he went through, he tried to forget about it. And he just was living. He forgot about it. So he's very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, I just hope the judge listens because it's all up to her. So then I leave. Good meeting with him. And as I'm leaving, I see a young lady who's a former law student of mine. Law student. She's a law degree. Right. She had been texting or emailing me to see if I could help her, a friend of hers, who had a murder case. Mm-hmm. I see her, give her a hug. As I give her a hug and we're talking, she looked very nervous. Mm-hmm. I hear from the building... The fuck you doing? Kissing that nigga, hugging that nigga. Mm-hmm. Fuck, you supposed to be in here right now. What the fuck is you doing? Mm-hmm. And it was, I was like, yo, is he talking to you? She was like, yeah. And she 
scurries into the building. And I'm like, oh at 46, goodness. 2018, that's a law student. She got a law degree. And this is where, she, and this is where, where she's, she's at. at. This is where she's at. And it makes me really think about how much work has to be done. A lot. And how important, how important this museum is. But, very but, you know, the, the ability that we have and the promise that such a beautiful people had is lost in this American it, Western culture it, experiment. It's by high design. Yes. None of this is by accident. No. This was all well, well planned out mm -hmm. a long time ago. And, you know, when Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation and we were supposedly freed, that was by word of mouth only. <laughs> you, know, you know, so uh, we, we are still not free. Yeah. And you know who got reparations at that emancipation after that? White people, slave owners. They got reparations. Oh, yeah, they get, well, you know, you know, um, um, the Homestead Act mm -hmm. and all of these other acts. Mm -hmm. That was all white reparations. Mm -hmm. You know, black people didn't get any of that. And I mean, we can go along, on, on and on discussing this in, in, in detail what certain things black people were promised and they never got. There's mm -hmm. even speculation that the reason Abraham Lincoln was assassinated was because he had promised to do more for blacks because of their help to win the Civil War for the North, mm -hmm. which was a huge, you know, and so once 160,000 yeah, soldiers, yeah, but people were stolen and fought for and, the North. But once the war was won, you know, there were people uh, who decided that they, you know, they weren't going to give they weren't going to adhere to those promises. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to make sure that they didn't was to get rid of Abraham Lincoln. Wait, and, Lincoln and Lincoln wasn't even a friend of ours. No, know? but he... No, but he but politically, he, had, he, he made some savvy moves to preserve yeah. his country and whiteness. Yeah. And unify whiteness. Yeah. And, and when whiteness he, at a time... One of the last speeches, and I don't want to go off on attention, one of the last speak, speeches that he gave before his assassination was to give black people the vote. And that was like a day before he was killed. Wow. You know, that he said he was going to get them the vote. The yeah. next day, he just got a bullet in his head. You know. And just so, by sheer numbers, it would have been some benefits oh, yeah. black people have it. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's, it's all by design. You know, we were, you know, we could talk about this at length. I mean, you, you know, we helped maintain the power structure for the North by helping them win the Civil War. But then what was the alternative? It was just another level, a lower level of slavery, which we were already in. So we opted on the right side, but then... The power structure, such which was a white power structure, uh, superstructure, superstructure. So it was decision was made. They're not giving anything more to us. In fact, they were going to roll back on some of the promises they already gave. Hmm. So, so, so black people have to own up to their history. They have to learn their history. They have to do whatever was within their power to save themselves and create their own destiny. Right. 
Absolutely. And the only way they can do that is by first knowing thyself, which means knowing their true history, mm-hmm. no matter what, the, you know, with the olive leaves and the, and the warts, whatever. They need to know their own history, and they need to build on that. They have to rediscover their value systems, which they lived by for thousands of years, not 400. And, um, and over time, institute pra- practices to resurrect themselves. Now, that's a tall tall yes, order, and they need, they need guidance working within a system that's designed to make sure they don't accomplish that. Yeah. Well, we're working in a system yeah. that actually was created yeah. off of our subjugation. Yeah. And and I and I I challenge black, white, Hispanic, Asian to unpack America and the first thing you do is take black people <coughs> out of the experience and tell me what America is. <laughs> Farmland. I tell you, yeah, yeah. tell you, if that. Well, we built the country. Right. We There's built no the question, country. No question we were about the, it. We were the motivation, the inspiration for the Constitution. Yeah. You don't have the concept of property, contracts. Industry. Industry without us in yeah. this place. So I yeah. want to kind of touch on one of the points about know thyself. So I'm looking around um, the place. I see two figurines <laughs> that look like Run DMC. <laughs> um, which is pretty cool. I know that's not. Just, you know, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, right? yeah, so, you know, um, just, you know, going First back to like, you know, that. guys, I mean, I, and, I, and I know you have the case in, with, with all three brothers. With oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Three brothers, which is ironic. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I want to touch on the um, the topic of youth, youth culture, mm-hmm. knowing thyself. Um, how, does, how does some, if not all of this artwork, speak to, you know, the rite of passage, the growing and the moving along and establishing the values values for young people in the side of communities. Well, my collection in a in a capsule, um all the Africa the artifacts that's in here, that's well over twenty five hundred. Mm-hmm. Um twenty five hundred? Well over that. Because there's more downstairs. So I gotta still on your way out I'll show you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some you don't see, they're in drawers and stuff like that. They pretty much tell the history of Africa. That's what's so important about the collection. Besides the power and the beauty that the individual pieces have, they all tell a different segment, a, a different time, and a different piece of peoples. And what made them what they were that came from Africa. Uh, they tell you why they were created, when they were created, who they served, uh, what purpose or activity they were uh, created for, and what functions they provided. Each and every one of these pieces tells you that. And many of the pieces are educational pieces that came through secret societies, as mm-hmm. I said, individually for men and women. And they get they open up the secrets of the value systems of Africa that made you a whole person and gave you a purpose from birth to death and beyond that death. 
mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. So you knew what path you were on, mm. you know, and you knew what kind of life you were supposed to leave and to provide <clears throat> protection for your family, uh, making sure that you, were, that you learned as much as you can whatever idiom that you were in, to share knowledge and to guide your children uh, was incredibly important how to uh, work at a particular vocation and become expert at it. I feel protected just sitting in here right now. Yeah. But you know what's interesting, and and I I do too. Well, that's the spirit. You see, a lot of these pieces in here are spiritual pieces. And they held the spirits of ancestors. They really do. And you know what's interesting about you saying, like, you know, a lot of these pieces reflect what a person's station will be in life, how they will protect their families. You know, a lot of this this current generation would consider that to be restricted, to be locked into one role for the for their whole entire life. So they so the whole notion of mastery is not even a popular notion right now. You know? Yeah. Well. The, the, what, the purpose of the collection for each and every individual that sees it is in particular and is focused obviously on people of African ancestry, but also other peoples as well, in order to tell them the truth so they better understand us, where we come from, and so they have respect for us. Right. And also so we can have respect for ourselves hmm. because we should. If we understood our obligation to the history that the, the stories that these pieces can tell you and if you've really understood that it will help to change the mindset of individuals who see it I mean we're conditioned to shun these things off right. you know we're conditioned <clears throat> to hate ourselves mm-hmm. you know this has been bred in us over 400 years it's not something you easily kick away some of the some of us are gifted because B I had a father who put the right thoughts in my head when I was young to know thyself, respect thyself, to know that you have an obligation to your family and your peers, uh, to excel and to do well and to share that knowledge that you learn with others. Right. You know, to help bring them along. It's not just about you. You know, so we were taught all of that. You know, and never to let anyone make you think lesser of yourself because that they are, to realize they are showing their ignorance because they don't know who you are and how important you are and where you come from and that you were the first people on this planet. And if anything, they come from you. Right. Heaven forbid, mm-hmm. you know. So, so, um, uh, so we understood that. So when I went through education, the educational system in New York City, which was pretty racist, at uh, for sure, at that time, when I excelled and I went into industry and I excelled, I always excelled at the top. But it wasn't an easy job because throughout the journey, I encountered racism time and time out. You know, I was inoculated, as I used this term before, against racism and the effects of racism. 
because I knew who I was, and I knew what I was capable of, uh, of, 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 of my capabilities were, and I knew I didn't have the excuse. I didn't have the excuse of saying I can't do it, right? Because I had already been given the evidence and told that my ancestors had already but see, done. See, here's the before. challenge, though. We have to create social, familial, and and societal institutions within Black culture that teach that and mandate that in in the face of a system that has destroyed the family structure. That's right. You that's know, correct. And that's and that's a blessing to have that. Like for me, uh, your partner, this lady was one of the people who helped enlighten me as a as a child uh-huh. to to and introduce me to to you know the power how powerful we were as black people. But not everyone has that. That's right. And uh, and so how do you build a how do you build a system? And such a forceful superstructure that is every day at your children's minds and hearts and spirits. Well, how we do it, we'll use what we got. Yeah. And what we got, we're blessed by having this collection. This collection is here for all of us to utilize and to learn from. So, and we have to put it in a place that's that's organized meticulously and systematic, systematically curated through its presentation and through the programs that we're going to construct to educate our children. Mm-hmm. Let's start with them. And you got to get them early. So yeah. they're just like I was gotten early. I was fortunate. So they understand their importance. And they understand what precious gems they are. And they can't let anyone else contaminate them. And especially for them to be aware of the, that, the, the germs that lurk within the system that surrounds them. All right, we got You got to He's just saying a lot. We're going to take a break. He said the germs. You know, oh, that's, it is. It's, it is. Right, we're yeah. going to take a break. We'll be back with Uncle E to collect. Right.
educational standpoint, um, how do you see, like if you if you had your wish list, how would you see this um, this collection impacting, say, the New York City school uh, system where you came from? Well, I think the the the, the collection and co coupled with the educational program that's already been developed in its in its nuclear form, but to be expanded upon and created by the Cultural Museum of African Art. I think we have the seeds within the, the nucleus of the program to educate and instill in a powerful way people um, about their history, whether they are of African descent or whether they are not of African descent. Uh, it will provide evidential information to them that will change their way of thinking and their way of life almost immediately, whether they like it or not. Because, <laughs> yeah, because it, 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 the, the evidence cannot be refuted. People might not like it, but the artifacts do speak. Many of them have spirits of their own that are incarcerated within them from their creation. And they tell the truth. They tell the true story, and those seeds need to be implanted and given a chance to grow and nurtured by the programs that we're going to put forward. But also uh, by the people who experience the impact of them, you know. So um, I'm I'm not naive. We're not gonna change everyone. No. That will not happen. And it's not gonna but happen. But neither overnight. did and neither did Moses <laughs> change all of the Jews or the Hebrews when he supposedly marched them out of Israel. I mean out of Egypt. Some of them it took forty years. I always find forty to be a magic number. It took forty years to eradicate most of the Hebrews that would not change, no matter what. You know, they had to die off. Right. You know, when Mao Zedong changed China and put, brought them from the realms of the opium, opium wars and stuff like that, when their, the pressures on the Chinese society were to eradicate them and make them subservient and, uh, and like ants, if you will, um, um, it took Mao, whether you believe in communism or not, that's not the issue. It took him 40 years just to clean up his people hmm. from being drug addicts. Hmm. You know, and we're talking millions and millions and millions of Chinese at that time. They're the major sect of the world's population. Well, it took him 40 years. It's 400 you years know. long. So we, so our situation is it. it's different. It's Very different unique. and much Very more unique, unique because we're in a society. Moses and Mao, interesting, they both start with M. <laughs> Moses and Mao control their society. Yeah. So they had 
a, 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 a starting chance at the gate to win the race. Right. We do not control our society. We don't make the rules for the society. You know, we're not allowed to control exactly what impacts our young children and what they're exposed to, no matter how hard we try. We, we need borders. Right. <laughs> so, so our task is much more daunting. And we're not going to change everyone because there's going to be certain many naysayers within our own community and people that look just like us who are going to say you're crazy and don't, I don't want to hear this crap. <laughs> you know, they're going to tell you that. But the important thing is, is to reach those young people, those young minds. Because I know from speaking to African art and speaking to so many people of all ilks, and this also includes people of non-African descent, they want to know the truth, a lot of them. Our young people want to know who they are. And they want to be proud of themselves, but they need to be given reasons why they should be. Because when they look at the media, they get no sense of that. That's that's why, uh, you know, as you said, this was a this was a plan is working and its purpose. And it's the reason why nationalism had to be black nationalism had to be destroyed, not just in America, but oh, from yeah. a global standpoint. Because when you go, uh, you know, American the black American experience is unique. Um, but it's not that unique because wherever you go around the world, um, this system, this, is, this type this of system, system, exists system exists in different shapes and forms. But that with nationalism people. is really it's a reason why on a national scene you don't have any person, black person, who is speaking unadulterated truth. No. Because they're um, controlled by the system. Yeah. And, and it's and about money. Money. It's about money. And, and we are sold out by so many people oh, and by so many people who say they represent us. Mm -hmm. So that's the reality. And then many of us deep down really have no sense of self-worth. No. I don't care what college you, uh, you came from, mm -mm. what degree you have or what pedigree we, you have. We buy into, yeah. we, you know, black people buy into whiteness and we want we do the things that we well, think whiteness it's a, expects it's a success. system let's be let's be real there's the system and i'm not a white person hater or nothing like that the system is controlled by white people mm -hmm. it's their system and maintained by and maintained right have no interest that's right in innovating well they're trained attack black people are a trained attack dogs <laughs> That's what they are. No, it's the reality. They are. They're trained. I mean, you, you know. Nah, you get listen. I get it. You know, so I, I'm uh, in the law. Yeah, I, I see know. It every day, it's everywhere. Black judge, or, whether it's the law, whether it's lawyer. business, whether it's the landlord-tenant relationship, it's the same thing. And it's something else. My father taught us. I'll call back whoever it is. It's something else. Uh, my father, Hello. my father taught us. He said. He said, even though you work, you work diligently to learn all the rules he's not, he's not and learn the the, um, the 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 expertise, of, gather the highest level of expertise at what you're doing, so you can get ahead or hopefully make it to the top. 
He said, once you're just approaching that point, he said, what did they do? He said, they changed the rules. <laughs> they changed the game plan. <clears throat> so now, all of a sudden, you're here, and just at a snap of the finger, you're down here again. Because they saw you coming up that ladder, <laughs> and they changed every, every all the way, because they control the system. <laughs> you know? And he taught me that later, uh, in, in, early on in life, and I, I, I operated like, by that. So, in my vocation, what I did, and I did very well at it, because I'm a hard worker at, by nature and a workaholic, and I strive for excellence, because that's an act. That's an African thing. If you know the African value systems, you strive for excellence. And and I never, with my peers, I never discussed collecting African art and stuff and this and that and the other. I just didn't do it. I was there for a reason to do very well at what I did, to make as much money as I could. And so I can take that money back to the tool shed and work on what my true interests were. And I did that for year in and year out. You know, so people who come out now to see me, even at exhibitions and things, some of the people I worked with in the past in, in, in industry and everything, and they say, Eric, I don't believe, how, how did you do this? Where did this collection come from? You never talked about that. And I said, no, I said I never did because I wasn't there to talk about that. I'm, I'm not a white hater either. Um, I, I really don't. <laughs> but, I but mean, sometimes it gets clear. hard. Yeah, but I'm very clear <laughs> on history, and one thing that I'm really, really clear on is whiteness has no intention of going away, and it is gonna fight tooth and nail. It's power to to you know, and it's sort Just of like to maintain Malcolm, itself. To maintain itself, what Malcolm said is power. You know, they they're not gonna. They're going to just turn the screws as, as hard and tight as they can. And, and, and they're still. doing that now. And for me, yes. Yeah, yeah, and for me, you know, we, because I see this world in this special place through the law on a daily basis. Yeah. Now I know that's got to be painful. Yo, let me it's got to be. It's got to be. They, we are at a critical, critical be. point. When you see what's going on socially, politically, and economically concerning us as a people, mm. and we cannot afford to have another generation of go black through people this. go through this. We're disintegrating and these people's ass yeah. to exist. And, and if we, because all we're gonna do is create another generation of suckers. That's right, Uncle E. Is there anybody in the media that you that you would say is living? close to that thing know thyself anybody any public figure you know I mean in in, in yeah, you art. that's a hell of a question you're asking me a very good question because I met so many people in the media in, in, in all honesty I would say and maybe not in the media but in the well, I think side. that's yeah. good I think okay. yeah I think you that's a good point the media why because the media has great outreach mm -hmm. to reach and touch a lot of people that's basically what the media means. Mm -hmm. And all the people I know, which are quite a many, I, I'll say this, and I, I try to answer all my questions honestly. Predominantly, just about everybody I know in the media is controlled. Mm. You know? And some have the capability, but 
because of where they sit in the media to say some truths. But they're very intelligent people and they know just how far to go with that. Right. You know. So um They ain't losing that spot. <laughs> so um And unfortunately the media has replaced um education for many people. That's right. Not just black people. That's general. right. And but the people who have who don't stand a chance of losing everything because their interests are protected in the media, mm-hmm. white people, yeah. uh, they don't have to worry too much about that. No. Now, they can have a big heart in protest and sob about, oh, how terrible they're treating my black friend down the street, <laughs> and this isn't fair, and they could go out and march and do all of this. But at the end of the day, they go back into wherever they yeah. cubby hole they came out of. They whiteness. And, yeah, and they're and, secure. About and they're secure. They don't worry yeah. about it no more. Yeah. You know. So in the media by design is controlled by design. It's controlled by people of high political and economic status who are gonna protect not only their own self interest, but their their communal ethnic group. Mm. Was it? They're going to do that no matter what. And they also fully understand that the media is designed to control people who are not in power and they don't have, they have no intention of letting you get Yeah, and they power. figured that out in the 20s. That's right. Yeah, so, so, so the media, the media in general is not your friend. You know, it's not your friend. So, and when they employ you into the media, they do it, it's done for the purposes of perpetuating the power of the media and not your interests, unless your interests are to support what they do already, which many of us do, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, to me, so that's why I say you got to go back to the nuclear shell and start there and build something that's tight, communicative, communicative, and nurturing, and expand slowly on that to educate your own, give them a foundation that they can stand on. I've been blessed because I was given a foundation up to this day. I've always stood on, and nobody can knock me off that perch, you know? Because I always knew who I was. I always knew what my objectives was. I always knew what my capabilities were. I always knew that I had an obligation to share and to educate those and try as best as I could to protect those around me as best as I could, you know, and make sure that they understood these same principles and shared it. And that's catchy. That rubs off on some people. You know, it's not easy. It's a slow jog, like I said. But if you try to go at a high level to do that, you know, I wouldn't say it's not impossible, but your your your, your chances of major failure are right, are right upon you. And maybe major destruction at the same time. Because the media, the, 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 not the media, the, um, the institutions as such don't like that. Uh, you're sort of upsetting the apple cart 
and they will strike back at you <clears throat> with a lash that will be horrific. Right. Another thing, I, I'll hit on this, is just as far as speaking the truth, and one of our blessings and one of our curses, and a lot of black people get upset when I say this, is that our curse, I'll put it this way, our blessing and our curse, it oftentimes, not always, but it oftentimes is the black church. Oh, hell yeah. You know, because... <laughs> But how they That's a fact. how they put us into slavery is through the church, you know, and they started that didn't start here, that started in Africa. No, the religion, yeah, uh, Christianity that started, and, and Islam, how Arabic uh, intrusion in, in Africa yeah. is is story. If but you even here today, yeah, the church, the blessing is, yeah, when it's time for November sixth to come around. Them churches put in their work. <laughs> the other 364 days, they're giving passes. They let the lights and the and, and the and the water bill go, utilities go, <laughs> and the real estate developer with the big money <laughs> and the superstructure come. And them them bishops, yeah, they sell out their yeah, congregation. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible for that money. So like people stuff, like they organize really well, but they organize with the have wrong. Have you ever read? Wrong have you ever read the uh, the papers of King Leopold? Oh well, I've I've read uh, several books. You on know, him. Yeah. so you know, and that was all about really the church, you know, because their his strategy was in Belgium was how they were going to subjugate at the time was the most important country in Africa, hmm. which was the Congo. Yeah, because they want the that Cong rubber. They want what the, the Congo minerals. had. He and his henchmen around him developed this strategy of how they were going to do that. Hmm. And a major component of the strategy besides, besides brute terror and brutality and maiming and killing, killing of women and children, besides all of that, <laughs> one of the, the major components was the church. The church, yeah. And how they were going to convert these people mm -hmm. from the heathenistic, mm -hmm. tribalistic ritual rituals, which is what maintained and kept those people together. Not talking about the You're ice, right. what they were doing in Europe and eating each other in the oh, streets. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and that's what they did. And then, in the incorporation of the triangular slave trade, and how they were going to bring these slaves to build the Americas, both north and south, because of the mental acumen, the skills, and the sheer strength that the Africans brought to the table. How they were going to accomplish that, they were going to accomplish that through the church also. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They did. Yeah. They did. So, and... <clears throat> It's a it's a hell of a situation because um, yeah there 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 are ministers who are enlightened and they understand that Jesus was a black man you know and Christianity comes out of a black household the yeah. church is a part of the problem yeah. at this point though yeah but <clears throat> there are 
far more the greater majority that reject that because they're so indoctrinated by the worship of a white Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. They really are. And and it's no way um, a black person can truly feel self empowered by worshiping by a worship by worshiping John a white Clark God or a white Jesus Christ. It just can't happen. And, and back to power, you always feel this self so, because what is your God? Your God yeah. is a reflection of yourself. That's right. So, but you know, even. Uh, you know, and and Brooklyn, which is probably one of the biggest democratic counties in the country. That's right. You can't win this county without without the black church. Well, that's it's that's impossible. the deal. But see now, Central Brooklyn is impossible. That's right. So now, but so now all so the Africans have ritual. Mm -hmm. The church would argue that they have ritual. What's the difference? No, it isn't about the ritual. Mm -hmm. It isn't about the ritual. It's about your belief. Mm -hmm. Your belief. And who the ultimate divine savior is, or where do you come from? It goes to the heart of where do you come from? Who was your creator? If you think your creator was a power that looked like a white man <laughs> with stringy blonde hair and blue eyes, who's been documented as the supreme killer on earth, you know, and tactician. There's no way you can put yourself at the top, of, at the head of the table. Just subjectively, uh, subliminally, you can't do it. Listen, if you I, can't excel yourself look, as being in total self-control of your destiny. If I if I wake it into this man-created heaven, and I get there. <laughs> it's gonna be hell to pay if it's anything like this. <laughs> this well, place. I say to Edie sometimes. I, I say to Edie, and Edie will tell you. I've said uh, this life we live here in this world, this earth. I said I really believe it's purgatory. <laughs> you know. So I said, and there's got to be a better. The Africans believe in. Uh, reincarnation and go into an afterlife. They all believe that. Mm -hmm. All the Africans believe in one God, mm -hmm. in a unitary God. They have different divinities and oishas and things like that. You know, they 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 all have that, but. But they all believe in one supreme being. And sometimes it's a female and not a male. But they all believe in one supreme uh, being. I give you know? promise to the so, most high. I don't know. Yeah, so, um, so I I've said to Edie before, I said, so I said, this is purgatory. That's what I think. So I said, there's got to be a better place we're going to go. So I always feel for myself that I'm visiting and I have work to do while I'm here, which I'm trying to do now. And then I'm going to go off to different and hopefully better places as part of my journey. And we all have journeys, and that's part of my 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 journey. And I told Edie, I make a laugh sometimes. I said the only question about all of this, and as a reflection, is that well, if this is purgatory, and there's a better place, then I always say to her, 
well, what the hell did I Why do in my previous? No, no, I, no, I say, what did I do in my previous life to end up here? Yeah, I must have screwed up somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we uh, take a quick break. Let's get down to the underground spiritual again. this in different locations mm -hmm. but even coming here and sitting in there is just it's amazing um you see something new every time mm -hmm. um and it, it forces you or it makes you it inspires you to really want to understand not just how you got a particular piece <laughs> but the history of that piece because I was telling me and Phil, you know, Phil went to uh, Africa. He came back yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, right? The day before yesterday. 18. And um, he brought back these wonderful experiences and photographs. But really his, his, his perception of what was going on out there. And I had recently picked up this book about the last cargo mm. um, by Lorraine Hansberry. Mm. Wow. And I'm reading a book. And I had, I had told Phil last night that I had to kind of put it down because um, the, there's a central figure in it and he's talking about his 
his uh, what was going on and he called Afrique. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, the law and and the book kind of was had a special attachment to me because my dad is you knew my father his family was oh, from yeah. Alabama oh yeah um, and she's writing how this individual spoke and it reminded me of my dad and mm-hmm. my uncles and my grandfather um, but what I was I what I what I did I can't say I didn't like what was uncomfortable <coughs> for me was when he would go back and talk about Africa, it was almost, it was almost this, you seen the influence of Western culture even in what he was saying. So these pieces make me want to find out about Africa without European involvement. That's right. And, and um, you know, like what was, you know, it was a matriarchal society. Um, what was the relationship between men and women? For which tribes? What regions? Um, you know, and it's so much to learn. It's a lot. It's a lot to learn, and and mm-hmm. and these pieces really speak to that. You know, yeah, they do. Um, they do. Know, it's, it's it's quite incredible to be quite honest with you. I wish people can see uh, what, what we're looking at. You know, and I and I think that's why the museum is going to be a very powerful institution in in, in liberation and education. Right. Looking at all this work, give me some bit of uh, verbiage on curiosity. On curiosity, oh, that's a, such a wide, open subject. When you when you say curiosity, are you talking about public curiosity or my curiosity? Um, let's let's start with your curiosity and how well, it, how it drives you. My curiosity, which has now been over 48 years of curiosity, um, is to know as much about, I have this huge appetite for knowing as much about Africa, similar to what Kenny just, the question he just raised, knowing as much as I possibly can about Africa. And what's so amazing to me about Africa is the, 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 through the artifacts alone, the incredible amount of stories that they tell about Africa to give you an insight into the life of African, the belief systems of Africans and what makes them go from one day to the other and how they lived in harmony and peace and um, didn't have to deal with the numerous amount of trial and tribulations that you have to deal with in a typical Western environment and societal setting. It doesn't mean that they didn't have to worry about whether, uh, you know, there was going to be a rainy season and they were going to have water, in a particular, depending upon where they lived, and the next month or something like that or for the cattle or the crops. Uh, all Africans at one point in time were self-sufficing. They, uh, uh, you know, took care of their own immediate familial needs. Um, and some went far beyond that. They were structured societies and empires and so on and so 
so forth with structured societies, but over periods of time, they live pretty much in harmony, not to mention that as you dig deep into the histories, there were societal rivalries and things as well. But basically, they lived in a much more, I guess an encompassing statement I can make, is they lived in a much more um, noble environment and a caressing environment uh, and, um, in, in which they basically looked out for one another and their needs. Um, and they had... So is that a way of saying that they were so opposed to how Europeans commodified the world because our relationship to the world was different? Like we, you know, they, they were coming from a history where they didn't have much. We were coming from a land and history where we had plenty. Right. Um, I, what I would say is, it, for the most part, they came from an environment where they didn't want much because mm. they didn't need they didn't need much they came from a society and a climate and the agricultural surroundings that provided for their needs you know um, and they also came from an environment in general where there was no such thing as ownership. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, so they shared, <clears throat> you know, they shared, and they made sure that everyone ate, everyone drank, that the children were looked after in a communal setting, which is that old expression that you hear that was uh, criticized years ago about it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Well, it really did. Uh, when Hillary Clinton used it when she was running the first time for president. Oh, she said it takes a little. Yeah, and she was she was jumped on upon for that, and um, and she didn't back it up. She 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 relented and backed off the statement when she should have did just the opposite to say that it does take a village because that's what's the problem with well, the United States. Well, her village States. has been destroyed. Well, her village is destroyed. <laughs> yeah, it does take a village to destroy But but anyway. Um, so, um, two, two totally different, uh, economic structures, um, and value systems and values. And it goes back to the value systems, you know, where in the West, basically everything is, you know, based on capitalism, Mm -hmm. which is a carnivorous environment where each person is feeding off the next and you have to get things just to, to get things, whether you really want them or not. You're conditioned to consume things you don't need. You know, that's what we've grown up in. And when in that environment, um, if you can't attain, you feel like a failure. In Africa, first of all, you never attain for that. And you never felt like a failure if you raised your children the proper way, if you made sure they had the right values, if you took care of your family, 
you made sure everyone is provided and for and nourished, uh, and you educated your people to reach to reach for the highest ideals or to develop skill sets that was that the village or society needed. Oh. That's that that was the African system. But as far as ownership, fencing off land saying the guy can't bring his cattle over here to graze or stuff like that. They didn't know what that was. And and neither did the Native Americans in the yeah, United States. Absolutely. They didn't know that either. That's These are Western values. We live by Western values. That's the contract we sign when we, we grow up here in the West. And um, and we're held to that. But it's, it's an unfair contract because we are not... You know, we, we, the fine print in the contract we can't read, and the fine print says that you'll never be on the top controlling this. No, Somebody this, else will. No, well, this, this, this is a carefully constructed social caste system where we are in the bottom. And will always be. To that. But well, we can change it. Oh, of course. We can yeah. change it listen, to an agree. But that takes time. And it takes effort. Acumen, yes, time and effort, and most importantly, us pooling our resources Sources. together. Where you don't have this mindset, I gotta have more than you, and I gotta have two cars if you have one. Mm -hmm. I gotta have ten pairs of shoes if you have two, even though I can't wear ten pairs of shoes. You know, it's it's a different mindset. You know, and as long as we and in this system, we'd have to make some major changes because we'd have to we'd have to pool our resources. So the man, the least man down, we pull our resources to bring him up. Mm-hmm. Now he has to make a contribution, a contribution mm-hmm. and agreement to the society good in order for, for the society, for the community to do that. But that's what we would have to do. You know, we would have to help each other, each one to survive, uh, to rise. And when that one rise, he helps someone else, pulls together right. and helps someone. And then we start making our own rules. Of course. And how we move forward. We don't be dependent on other people. That's rules. called black nationalism. Right. We don't be dependent on other people's rules, which are designed to keep us on the bottom. Right. Well... OE, we thank you for inviting us into this piece of history. Uh, we thank you for reminding us that we're incarcerated. <laughs> Unfortunately, serious, but, but no, it's true. Serious, we are. We all all of us. Yeah. I'm not excluded. But, but the one thing you also reminded us is that you can actually free your mind. Yes. Um, so, and you know what? Ultimately, when you free your mind and depending on how things are, there's no chains around this place. Although this system, uh, this is a global system. But we want to thank you for bringing us here and being a part of history. Um, whatever we can do to facilitate this museum um, being something that's present after all of us are long gone. Because that's the goal. That's right. That's the goal. Um, and and uh, we appreciate and love you guys. That's right. And you know, you know what we want to shout out? We're on our way to a funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of our, our, our partners, father, a great man from Trinidad, mm. Noel Ross, um, mm. sleep in peace. Deep. Peace. To the better place. Better place. Better place. Better place.
That's the way it's got to be